0: Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode of the Investor Frame Podcast. I'm your host Paul Sparks, and on this show, we ask successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs to share their stories so we can all learn from their experiences and get closer to the things that we want in life. Today, I'm uh, here with a new friend of mine, Nick Cooley. He and I have gotten to know each other over the last few months, and uh, he's got such a cool, impressive story. uh, uh, He's an investor here in Denver, and
1: He's going to talk a little bit about
0: how he went from uh, sleeping in his car to owning $5 million in real estate uh, here in Denver, which is no easy feat. Uh, he's, he's sort of in the private equity space in the last couple years and has been doing very well. Last year, he returned a million dollars uh, in investor capital, which is a, a testament to the way that he does business. He's got a company called Jericho uh, that takes private investor money in. He's investing all over the country. So welcome in, Nick. It's great to have you, man.
1: It's good to be here, buddy.
0: Thanks for having me. Awesome. So uh, we start off every show with a six-word update. So what is your six-word update today? This,
1: this this was surprisingly difficult to come up with, but mine is I'm finally playing my own game. I love that. I, I vacillated back and forth between playing my own game and playing the right game. Uh, but when, you, when you're playing your game and you're doing it without too much outside influence, it is the right game. Mm -hmm. And so I had success in the W2 space in medical device, business to business sales, international sales management. But for some reason, it never really gave me the fulfillment. And it never really felt like I was doing what I was supposed to be doing. Uh, I feel like I'd know rather that what I'm doing now is what is why I'm here. Mm It takes a little
0: while to get there, doesn't it? I know, yeah. And honestly, it's a blessing to
1: have found it, right? Like how many people never actually do get to realize the feeling that I have right now that I'm doing what I'm supposed to.
0: Well, you know, I think one of the reasons why you and I get along so well is because we have such similar backgrounds and similar approaches to real estate. And so uh, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about your journey into real estate and your sales background and how you got started in real estate let's just start there
1: sure um i'm happy to expound on any distinct portion of it but um as you alluded to the early part of my real estate investing story began with me sleeping in my car in parking lots it's like i know There's like good and bad parking lots that you want to sleep in, which sounds kind of crazy. Uh, You want- How's Walmart? (laughs) uh, Too bright, too bright. Hard to sleep, Uh, but there is like, there's like a fine balance between, you know, you want it to be like light enough that you feel safe, which is a totally like primal thing, Uh, but you want it to be dark enough that you can actually sleep. But we won't spend too much time on that. Uh, Started there, and then my wife, Hannah, and I started buying real estate in Denver in 2016 when everybody said it was a bubble and it was overpriced. Luckily, we didn't have any other options to try to time the market and to listen to those kind of naysayers. Uh, But we bought our first place as a primary residence uh, with an FHA mortgage in West Highlands in Denver. Uh, And then we implemented a strategy that we would buy a primary residence and move out every 12 months uh, to allow us to start kind of building up a big enough snowball to where uh, I, th- I think too many people are trying to create passive income without having something that, that you can lever, right? There's two ways to make money. It's either your time and your labor or your assets. Mm-hmm. And if we didn't have any assets, we had to figure out how to you know, get a big enough snowball. So we started doing that for a while, uh, ended up wholesaling, ended up flipping, ended up burring, doing all this different stuff in the real estate ecosystem but we did all of those things in order to expand our long-term rental portfolio fast forward to today and in order to try to scale that single family business in denver we found that i had somewhat of a tact for raising private capital uh and so leveraging some of those relationships that allowed us to to supercharge where our last year in the single family space we did about five million dollars worth of transactions in one year um, we're now taking that skill set and that uh, perspective on underwriting to the multifamily space with Jericho.
0: Yeah, well, we'll dig into Jericho a little bit, but yeah, that process of just buy a house and yeah. then a year later buy another house. And, you know, you were a high income W-2 earner yeah. and fortunately we were able to acquire debt pretty cheaply with that. And yeah. so that process... It's just, it works, you know? And, and for people that are trying to get into real estate, it's just such a proven path. We've seen it so many times before. It, Bigger Pockets built an entire business around catering to those types of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, $5 million in real estate, was that mostly just single family homes that you guys moved into, or were you also requiring rentals? Uh,
1: so early on, just because of a lack of capital, it was homes that we were moving into and then as word started to spread that uh, you know we were real estate investors to like your credit with the bigger pockets uh, model um, you know we would run out of money but we were finding good enough deals that like it just irked me to find like such a good deal and to let it die on the vine and so after the first two or three we did start reaching out to Uh, other partners and uh, we were actively adding rentals at that point in time as well. Um, The last kind of shining light on our single family business was we were prioritizing buying packages of single family deals. And so there was one that we did uh, in 2020 where we bought seven doors in Denver for about 2.1. And uh, the, the market value for those on day one without bringing a, a paintbrush or anything into them was closer to 2.7 mm-hmm. which actually is part of the reason why we wanted to find a way to pivot our way into multifamily was because if i was capable of buying something at a 15 percent discount just because it was inconvenient for the seller to exit that asset what did it look like when i was going to be the one trying to exit it
0: yeah i've right? heard you say that before and i think that's yeah it's it's fair, um, and so you got rid of almost all of your single families, and you transitioned into multifamily
1: now. Correct. Yeah, we uh, so at our peak it was you know, probably six or seven million worth of single family in Denver, and um, we now have two properties left, and one of those two uh, we're actively marketing for sale right now.
0: All in on the multifamily. All channel. in. If you want to take the island. Tell us about what Jericho looks like now and what you're doing with that business.
1: Sure. Uh, So what we do is we raise private capital from investors that realize the value of generating returns on their capital via real estate. Those types of partners typically tend to be high income earners, business owners, people that have just recently sold a business and want, they understand the value Placing their capital to work for them and by diversifying. They know that they can get into the stock market and get a 10% return if you hold it long enough. They know that you can buy bonds. We're just the medium to allow them to create additional returns via real estate without them having to learn the new skill set that you and I have developed over the last, you know, 10 years that you've been doing this. This isn't something that you can just pick up on the weekends and be like a full-time real estate investor. Yeah. So we give them the access to those deals that only full-time investors are going to be able to find and to operate. Uh, and in return, uh, you know, they get some of the upside and we get to do more deals than we would be able to do without that additional capital.
0: And it comes back to this phrase that you have heard me talk about like all the time, which is solvable problem. And uh, you know, we're pretty technically minded people. So I think that. You know, it's why that just resonates with me so deeply, the idea that, well, if you just figure out what you want, you can pretty much just work backwards and engineer a situation where now you know what kind of return you need in a timeline that you need. You know what level of risk that you need to take. And it becomes how do we take risk off the table as we get closer to the things that we want in life? Right. Ideally, we want to take risk off the table. And um, that's pretty much what you do is you help people get closer to the things that they want in real estate from a passive investing standpoint. Now.
1: Yep. Yep. Exactly. And kudos to you for emphasizing like the passive side. That really is like, I think that the returns that we generate for folks will beat out 99 point something percent of like the do it on the side folks. Mm. This is all that we do. I have yeah. a business partner, Brian, who's the brains of the operation and, um, he and I are going to beat 99% of people that are trying to do this for sure. But um, you know, we're not asking people to to be professional operators in partnering with us. We're saying, hey, you're a great lawyer. You're a great plastic surgeon, whatever. Keep doing what you're already in the top 1% in the world at and then let us do what we're in the top 1% of the world at. And we have the core belief that
0: That's a one plus one equals three type scenario. Yeah. Real estate is such a fantastic vehicle, but everybody that starts, you know, when they're they're in their 20s and 30s thinks that it has to be this active thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I got to flip a house. I got to wholesale a house. I got to buy a rental and deal with tenants. This, that, and the other but you returned an average of 23% to your investors last year.
1: Yeah. Well, and last year was crazy, right? Like, yeah. you know, but yeah, like it, that almost sounds, <laughs> uh, it sounds like an infomercial, but yeah, we had a, a great year and uh, we definitely beat, I mean, we did 23% and you were in the stock market was down 20%. Yeah, So it was pretty awesome. Hopefully we can keep it going.
0: Well, and and so, you know, I have my own solvable problem. And I think about like, okay, where do I want to be by the time I'm 40? And for some reason, that's like this arbitrary date that I've just sort of drawn a line in the sand. And it's like, well, I want to get to a certain place by then. And I can work backwards and I can say, well, based on the capital that I have now, here's the type of returns I need in order to get to where I need to be by the time I'm 40. And it's not like 70%, 100%, 150%. It's like, 25, 30%. That will get you there, right? And so part of what I'm looking at, and what I would imagine a lot of other investors, if they're not, they should be, is like, well, how do I make bets where I can get obviously not guaranteed returns, but but real estate presents such a an incredible opportunity with such a long track record of success, this asset class, I don't, I'm not aware of a of a of a risk what am I trying to say here, like of a less risky place to put your money. Right. 401ks, fine, great option. Stock market, you know, money markets, mutual funds, things like that. I'm not saying I don't believe in those things. What right. I'm saying is that real estate is something that as a professional, if you're working that high W-2 job, it absolutely should be something to consider. Yeah. And then it becomes about evaluating the operator. Yep. Right. So tell us a little bit about the operation and what you guys are doing and how you're investing this type of capital.
1: that's such a well said uh series of uh thoughts but uh what we say frequently internally is that yeah you're making a bet on the horse meaning like the industry of real estate right like but you also have to know who the jockey is and the jockey is the operator and anytime that you're placing private capital whether people elect to do that with us or with somebody else yes real estate is a great industry but the operator as you know is largely the biggest differentiator in that uh inefficient market and so what we do as a pretty small fund relative like we're not throwing around billion dollar checks like blackrock and blackstone and everybody else Um, what we rely on is we only participate in markets that we have a distinct operational advantage yeah meaning we find the properties before they even hit the market. We have our own team of contractors vertically integrated into our entire company. So we don't have to worry about finding the drywaller, finding the plumber, or finding the electrician on a per project basis. We have guys that if we don't put them to work, they're playing Grand Theft Auto at home and getting right. paid by us. <laughs> yeah. Right. So um, that's also influenced from a standpoint of Anytime you're raising private capital, we can reach that solvable problem goal that you alluded to once you understand what the rate of return is that you need. But we also make an assumption in that and that that rate of return that we're calculating assumes that we never hit zero. Mm. So our primary goal with Jericho is not to chase like absolute top returns. It's to make sure that every single year we're compounding off of a new floor
0: mm-hmm.
1: the our perspective in this real estate game is like it's like a home run derby but your only goal is to get base hits every single time like we want to be tony Gwynn, not frank thomas <laughs> <But> that's <laughs> i love that that's, yeah. that's a good one yeah
0: well and you made a post today which i was just like ah oh, this that's is why we're this is why we're getting along so well is because it's not about how do we get the highest returns possible? That's not how wealth is built. That's not how wealthy people think. They think about the rolling average yeah. and raising the floor consistently, right? How do we raise the floor and take risk off the table? Yeah. Doesn't mean you don't get exposure to home run bets. You know, you go up in a home run derby. The goal isn't to hit a home run in this analogy that you're using, it's to get on base. Right. That doesn't prevent you from hitting home runs.
1: Right. Well, and that's who hits the home runs. It's the people that are consistently making contact in this business single 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 homer
0: mm-hmm. those
1: are the people that win like there's a lot of people that are looking back over these like really volatile markets the last two years or so and they're like damn man, it must be nice for you know paul to get this deal done where they made a million dollars profit in my experience the only people that are doing those kinds of deals consistently with a track record that you can trust with your money Are the ones that are doing a lot of deals, right? Like sometimes you're going to hit a homer and sometimes you're not, but only by volume do you come across that.
0: Yeah, and it's 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 about making bets that if you're right, fantastic. If you're wrong, we got to stay in the game. You got to make bets that if you're wrong, like it doesn't set you back. And now you're, I mean, I've made those bets many times. That's how I know. Don't touch that. It's hot. Right. Stay away from those types of bets.
1: well, and there's something that comes up with that too. Like anytime that you're vetting an operator or anytime you're talking with somebody that does a real estate deal, there, you should have like your wall up if they don't have battle scars. Mm. Anybody that's like, oh yeah, we've returned 25% for the last that's 15 years running. True. Uh, yeah. You know who did that? Bernie Madoff. Like that's it. Right. Like anybody that's not willing to share the deals that they've lost money on, they're trying to sell you something.
0: Yeah, I wear my scars with pride. Yeah, right? And it's funny that you get around people who have, and I haven't been doing this for that long, right? And so I, I'm i keenly aware that there's probably, you know, another scar to come. For sure. And, but that's how I, you know, the rewiring of your brain for, for people that are, you know, have a really high tolerance for risk, like myself, I have to, like, remind myself that that's, the way to build wealth is not through, Hitting home runs. Yep. That's not how you do it. It's about reducing risk, taking it off the table constantly. You know, uh, Dan in this book, Rigging the Game, he talks all the time about uh, when you're working with Fortune 500 companies and you're building business treasuries, it's if you can just eliminate the downside, yep. all you're left with is upside. Right. That's what creates an asymmetrical. Right.
1: Well, and it's stemming from the the, or the understanding of what compounding actually is, mm-hmm. right? It's that floor in generating returns based off of returns. Uh, there's people way smarter than me that have called that the eighth wonder of the world, right? Like, if you can continue to compound, that's the whole game. Yes. Like, once you understand how powerful that part of it is, uh, you cannot view this game in the same manner. Mm-hmm. So...
0: You help people reach their solvable problem through real estate. Yep. What does the solvable problem for Nick Cooley look like? Like. Uh, It started
1: off originally with a monthly cash flow goal of $100,000. We worked backwards out of that, out of a 4% ROE to believe that we had to attain $30 million worth of real estate ownership in order to do that. And the goal was never like... An endless, like uh, an endless line of Ferraris and Rolexes, right? Like that wasn't the the primary driver. It was more so. I love my wife, and uh, I'm really really excited about potentially having a family with her someday. And I just wanted to never have to ask permission to go to a baseball game. Mm. That's
0: good. Man. Money is. Is great, and I want to make a lot of it. Yeah, right. Uh, Sounds like you are in the same boat, but you know, there's there's other things, right? That that this money funds, but I I, what I liked about when you shared that with me, I thought it was sixty million or under. We do have a partner now, so we had to double it. (laughs) Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. That's where the sixty number came from. Yeah, Um, but that clarity is necessary if you're going to build uh, a strategy around reducing risk. Yeah. Because if if you're chasing like some arbitrary number, I want to get as much money as possible, yeah. right? I want as many things uh, or as many uh, multifamily units as possible, billion dollars. I mean, Great. Again, billion is is actually a number, so it's hard for me to say like that has actually a number to work from, but this arbitrary like I just want more multifamily, as much as I can. Get. Yeah. Well, how do you know when to take risk off the table?
1: Right. Like well, and what's the primary driver there, right? Like what's the actual goal? Is it fulfillment of ego like, most of the time? Yeah. Which and like ego can be a valuable tool, right? But like as long as we acknowledge it, like money and I think uh, this overlaps to a lot of your perspective or philosophy rather. Um, money is just a tool that we can use to buy our time. And like, that's how we view it, Hannah and I. And so, yeah, like, do I want to make money? Yes. Do I want to do it so that I have options with how I spend my breath, which is infinitely more limited? Yeah. Like that's the
0: real driver. Well, and this is, this is interesting because the whole, I've had people say to me, well, what's wrong with trying to see how much money I can make? Yeah. Right. Right. I said there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But if that is the goal to chase, then you the risk that you're taking on at that point is, well, how do you know? I mean, how many times have we seen, you know, you're like trying to sell the top, but but selling the top is a like you can't do that. You can't buy the bottom and sell the top consistently over time. Right. And so part of what I learned about taking chips off the table and and locking in the things that you want is mm-hmm. like if you don't have an actual metric you're going towards um you're just going to keep holding you're, you you don't know when to sell you don't have a mechanism for how to how to lock those things in so what I what I say to those people is like figure out how to lock in what you what you can imagine is right now and i you can you reserve the right to change your mind yep. Like, in three years, if you want to make more, okay, fine, let's adjust. But this arbitrary approach to I just want to make as much money as possible is a recipe to blow yourself up.
1: Yeah, like, what is it that's in your blind spot that you're risking in that scenario without realizing it? Like, for me, family is the ultimate driver, and we have that $60 million line in the sand as, like, Hannah and I are forced at that point in time to take a week off to go on a beach somewhere and figure out, A, am I still enjoying this business, this playing this game? B, if I continue to play this game, does that come at the potential risk of our relationship and the relationship of people that I'm close to? And if either of those questions, like we don't feel good about the answer, then we're done. Yeah. Right. Like I'll go do something else. I'll go, Go to film school or something crazy, you know? Like Steve. <laughs>
0: uh, and I like that you said that because every decision has an infinite number of trade-offs, right? You choosing to be here with me in this podcast is pre- preventing you from doing, theoretically, an infinite number of things with your time. It's like preference versus binary, right? Right. Yeah. Um, so not only is it – do you have to, first of all, acknowledge that it's a preference to be here. There's not a right or wrong. Yep. But also that – by choosing to optimize for making the most money possible, there's going to be trade-offs for that, mm-hmm. right? And health, there's so, yeah, I mean, I use the example all the time. It's like, well, okay, we well, want to make $10 million by the time you're 40. Great. What if I told you you'd have that, but by the time you get there, your wife is wants to divorce you, your kids want nothing to do with you, you're out of shape, you're a drunk, yep. and, uh, but you got your $10 million. Great. Whoopee. You know, and so of course, most of us are like, oh, no, 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 I, I wouldn't want that. It's like, okay, well, then you acknowledge that there's an infinite number of trade offs to every decision that you make. Yep. Um, and that's the essence of the solvable problem, as I see it, is like getting clear on what you will do, what you won't do, what you need in order to live the life that you want. Right. Let's build a plan that locks that in. And then if you decide at that point that you want to go, you get to $60 million in assets under management, and you're like, you know what? I'm going to go for a billion. Yeah. Not because I'm chasing some arbitrary ego-driven goal, but because, you know what? This is the new solvable problem. Correct. And I think that is the best part about entrepreneurship and investing is, like, all these goals are totally doable. But if you don't have clarity in what you're solving and you're just solving for more – You're taking on so much risk, right? Uh, In your personal life and your business life, everything.
1: It's like saying that you were gonna go on vacation to Disneyland, but you're gonna have like your eight year old son be the one that's giving you directions, right? It's like, yeah, maybe you get to Disneyland. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But it's probably not gonna happen, right? And like, there's so much power in your ability to A, like, create the vision that you're trying to solve. And then just getting clarity on exactly what that problem is. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a critical, critical step for people to, to realize. So I'm glad
0: that you prioritize that. Yeah, yeah, man. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about strategy is and it? how you plan to get to this goal, right? Obviously, you know, you've know you got clarity on, hey, $60 million assets under management, uh, $30 million for you to own. That produces 4%. Return on your equity, which converts to roughly hundred thousand dollars a month, Correct. is. Are you optimizing for that right now entirely, or is there anything else that fits on your barbell that uh, that we, you know, that is helping you get to that goal?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, our barbell, if we're going to, you know, create asymmetrical upside on the Jericho side of the business versus like kind of my source of stability for the now for the today. Um what we've done personally is Hannah and I live entirely off of her W2 salary. Yeah. So every single dollar that I make 50% of it straight off the top goes into a non-qualified tax or non-qualified stock account and the other 50% we can blow it however we want. So if I want to go on a vacation to Italy, done. If I want to tip our server 2,500 bucks, done. But that gives us the ability to be like stupid generous and just realizing that money is just a tool. It keeps us from like loving the money. Mm. Uh, but that also provides that that bedrock of making sure that our floor is no longer sleeping in parking lots.
0: Yeah, yeah and locking that in. So your floor is your wife's W2. Right. And as you earn money on the uh, Jericho side, which anytime you're doing something new and this is when, you, when we talk about real estate, like doing I, I don't know how long you've been doing it, but I, it's a couple of years. Right.
1: Uh,
0: our very first deal was 2016. Oh, so. OK. So more than a couple of years. Um, so it's starting to become significantly more reliable. For sure. Anytime you do, anytime you do something new, it starts out on the, the asymmet- asymmetrical upside side of the barbell inherently how can it be reliable if we've never done it before correct but the idea is that over time you build reliability into these upside plays and they shift from one side to the other right um it's such an obvious concept when we say it out (laughs) loud it's like right like okay you just slowly raise the floor your reliability gets you know and for for new investors right a lot of times they have their w-2 yeah and then they start investing in real estate on the side. Yeah. I mean, you are helping in, uh, these W two investors do the same thing, right?
1: Dude, uh, bang on. And, and like the W two is far too often maligned on social media and on the internet. Is like, quit your W two today. They're making all the money, and you're only getting you know your your lousy old salary. It's like, dude, there is so much value in that security that. If you really, really enjoy being a film producer or really, really enjoy being a surgeon, dude, keep doing that. Yeah. Like real estate doesn't have to be your entire you know, 80-hour work week. The only reason that you and I are chasing real estate as hard as we are is because, A, we enjoy it, and it's how we enjoy spending our time. Exactly right. Like your W-2 isn't the, like the devil on your shoulder. But it right? does get such a bad rap. It's crazy to me that it does. but. It absolutely I
0: think it's because the real estate investors are like such a, it's such a, you know, like almost like a cult following. Yeah. Right. It's this. Uh, <laughs> they also want everybody to jump in the pool with them to yeah. sort of validate their decision that they jumped off the deep end. Yeah. You know, we were we were you know talking before the show about you know the personality type of the types of people that do these things and. For sure. Not everybody is fit to do that, and not everybody should, right. because not everybody has the short time horizon that we're trying to solve our problems in. Right. They're like, I don't care if I work till 50. That that wouldn't be the worst thing. I really enjoy what I'm doing. I like being a doctor. I like being a lawyer. Right. I spent my whole career doing this. Right. Okay, great. So don't quit what you're doing. Start building upside plays, right? The upside play is start investing in real estate. Mm-hmm. And then... What you'll notice is that over time, you'll start creating reliability that's just from the upside. Now, all of a sudden, you're like, hey, I'm making like 10, 20 grand a month just mm-hmm. investing with Nick. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, your reliable play becomes something like, I don't have to stay at this job. Mm-hmm. I do it because I want to do it. And you get all this level of
1: optionality. Right. There's this funny thing that happens. Like we got We got into the investing side a big part of that was to let Hannah be a stay-at-home mom if she so chose, right? Like it wasn't like you have to stay at home with our kid optionality. Right. And as soon as we got to the point where we could allow her to retire, guess what? Work wasn't so bad. Right. Like she doesn't mind going to work anymore, you know? And so use that as fuel to the, the point that you're making about like, yes, although you may love your job and you see yourself enjoying it, as you ride off into the sunset, please like do not overlook the value of having ancillary plays that create optionality for you down the road.
0: Well, and this just reminds me of this of what I, I talk about, you know, playing business the same way I play pickup basketball, but you're a golf guy. So let's talk about it in terms of golf. Let's do it. Right. Like best part about golf is that you don't have to play golf. Right. I get to play golf. I play golf. You play golf whenever you want to play. Mm -hmm. You know, he said a tee time. Hey, I I have the option to play whenever I want to play, you know. And and when I think about basketball for me, I don't want to practice. (laughs) I don't want to show up and like have to run sprints and like, you know, do all these shooting drills and all this sort of stuff. Like I don't want to do that. I don't want to make that commitment. I don't want the obligation yeah. But I love playing. I love playing the game. And that's what's fun for me is like I have the option to play, not the obligation. Yeah, It's so the we, same thing with golf. We call
1: it get to versus got to in yeah. our house. Like we don't – this is obviously broken English, but like we don't got to go to work. Like we get to. Mm-hmm. What a blessing it is that we get to like pursue a vocation that uh, is part of our like spiritual fulfillment. Like we're meant to create a dent in your community and in like, uh, your universe based off of how you show up and how you interact with other people on a daily basis, doing that thing that's been placed on your heart.
0: Yeah. You know, another upside play that I've noticed about you is that you are, you do quite a bit of social media, right? And as far as upside plays go, I don't know of a, of a better upside play in terms of marketing and attracting people to like what you believe who you are it's really hard to you know we we, you came from medical sales and i came from a similar sales environment right the best we had was linkedin yeah you know and it was like you got to pick up the phone you got to build these relationships with people but the 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 leverage in social media is so big you know you can sit in your car or walk out of your apartment and i see you making these videos and you're telling people about what's going on and i'm like i like that guy like you know and what a massive upside that presents because it's upside because you don't really know necessarily what's going to come from and it. it's it's fairly unpredictable in a lot of ways it's incredibly unpredictable yeah. but the downside is what like yeah. maybe your own uh time i suppose maybe you make a, a video and somebody thinks you're you know you look stupid or you said something <laughs> dumb i guess i don't really care about any of that anymore I'll, but. I'll
1: save the suspense i'm gonna look stupid on some of the videos guaranteed like but it's, it's like to your point it's uh there is whatever i i spend seven minutes a day maybe doing it so i waste more time than that on much uh on far too many things that don't have nearly the level of upside
0: so Well, I love your barbell, man. It's very similar to mine. You know, locking in gains with real estate and, I mean, cash-like places, right? I don't stick all my money in real estate. Like, I have diversification there. But the upside plays are largely around raising capital, right, and building this portfolio. And and I do very similar things. And so I like your barbell. Thanks, man.
1: And, uh, like, we, when we're putting money into that stock account, it is solely for the interest of being able to participate in more real estate plays. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm a person, I know myself well enough now that if I have extra money in an account, I'm just going to spend it. Like, whether it's a new MacBook or camera or whatever. So, by getting it out of my possession as quickly as possible, then I get to attach that to another real estate deal. And it's closer, like visually, for me to realize that it's it's a closer step to realizing that $60 million that mm-hmm. you yeah.
0: And Dan would call it a business treasury, right? It's like a treasury. You're putting your money in somewhere that you can draw on it, but it's also earning you cash flow. It's, fair, it's extremely liquid. Yep. It gives you tons of options, which is what we really want. We want to create optionality. That's how you create asymmetry, yep. is you have options. And you have the ability to decide what the best path forward is not like having to do deals but you can sit back build your treasury and then take advantage of opportunities as they present perfectly said. so let's finish by you sharing a lesson learned i mean you've got so much experience in real estate and capital raising and you know you live and breathe the solvable problem right and like locking these things in and getting closer to what you want so what's you know a lesson you've learned in business you know in your career or recently that you'd like to leave the, li- leave the listeners with Ooh.
1: um i would push back on the idea that you have to work with people uh solely based off of their credentials or based on an end product if you don't like them mm. um i and this sounds again like uh Like I could be making this up for like the sake of a podcast or whatever, but um, I only work with people that I like, and that uh, we call it DCS. Like DCS is our internal framework on it, and it stands for Do Cool Shit. Love it. I only do projects that get me excited with people that I feel good about having in my backyard for a barbecue with my wife. Mm. If if any of that doesn't fit like the framework, eh, not for me. Nick, you can make $25 million doing this one deal, but nah. I'm good. Like again, it's it's the time that's the most valuable resource for us. And I refuse to spend it uh in a way that doesn't meet our solvable problem. Mm,
0: that's so good. And 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 get clear on that stuff up front, right? Because otherwise you'll just start making it up as you go. Yeah. Right. Well, I could make more money if I did this deal. If you didn't have those rules defined at the very beginning, you know, you just start making it up as you go. And you err on the side of whatever your, like, scarcity-based human brain is going to tell you. Yep. I could make more money if I did this, right? I might be missing out on something. But you've defined that up front. It keeps you, you know, these rules keep you uh, within a boundary and allows you to play your game as your six-word update was today. I love that. Yeah. Well so Nick. Um, I believe you're I'm Nick Cooley. Is that it? On, Guilty. On, yeah. on Instagram. So people can reach out to you there. Um, yeah. If they want to find out more about investing with Jericho or buying a house here in Denver or any of that stuff, is that the best place to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm Nick Cooley on Instagram is where I'm most active. And then we, by the time this comes out, our website for Jericho should be live, uh, which is investwithjericho.com.
0: And we'll make sure to have all that in the show notes. Um, it's nice kicking it here in the basement with you with our, with our socks and Love it, bro. talking about real estate, man. It's, uh, it's what we talk about when we get together. Anyways, so it just yeah. feels like another casual conversation. Yeah. Um, for everybody that's listening, uh, we ask you to use the investor frame. So we call this show the investor frame because we ask, knowing what you know now. What changes do you need to make in your life, your business, your investments to help you get closer to the things that you want in life? Thank you again, Nick, for joining me today. Everybody else, uh, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you guys on the next episode.